Oh, so good morning. Brilliant. Okay, I always dread saying good morning as a primary school teacher because you know the following good morning from the children in front of you will take 10 to 15 minutes of good morning. And it just goes on into the unknown. So it's nice to get a nice good morning. And if you're in the alternative venue, good morning to you as well. I'm sure you're saying good, good morning back, I'm sure. <laughs> but um, have you ever had that feeling that you don't belong somewhere? That something's just not quite, that you're in a room or you're in a place and you know you don't belong there. Or you do something which makes you feel so, so awkward. Um, Last week, uh, Dan Bennett was talking at the first service and his first question to everyone in the room was, uh, what does everyone, is everyone enjoying the hot weather? And everyone's answer was? Brilliant. I hate the hot weather. Um, And so my answer was a resounding no. Now, what I hadn't checked was how loud my no was. And so as this barrage of yes came out last week, my no was much louder and it was just one of me. And as I took a deep dig in the ribs from Liz, I suddenly realised that I'd done something that made made me and her feel very, very awkward. My answer did not belong. What about those places that you go to where you just don't belong? If you're a football fan, I'm sure there's nothing more terrifying than having your ticket and you go to an away game and you find yourself sitting in the home end and you're in the wrong kit. It's very, very difficult. Or those times when you're running for a meeting and you've got your travel mug and you've spilt your coffee down your tie and you burst into a room, into the meeting room, and you realise it's the wrong meeting room completely and someone's already got a different meeting going on. It's awkward. Leon shared a couple of weeks ago about how he went to a wedding and it was the wrong wedding that he turned up to. Those times where you don't belong somewhere... It's awkward. And why is it awkward? It's because you know deep down you shouldn't be there or doing something. And children, children know about this need to belong. It's like they've got this uncanny thing of just knowing that they need to belong and other children need to know they belong as well. And growing up in my primary school, you know every primary school has a different sort of theme and a different culture? Well, I grew up in Castle Bromwich, which as I found out, I did say this morning it was 16 miles that way. It's actually 16 miles that way, as I found out in the break. But um, every primary school has a culture, and the culture of my primary school was if you were popular enough or if you were unpopular enough, you were the lucky individual that would have a song written about you by the other children at school. And this song would be sung on the playgrounds. And if the song was catchy enough, and if the song was good enough, there would even be a dance to go along with it. And uh, I was part of a group, so I wasn't, I wasn't unpopular. I had a group, but it wasn't a gang, so I wasn't that popular. I sort of sat in the middle. I only lived a couple of doors away from my school, and I turned up, rolled out of bed late, and turned up to school. And there was all my friends, as always, stood on the goal line, talking between themselves on the field. And as I went over, it seemed like a normal morning, and suddenly Andrew Turner, Lord bless him, nudged everyone and said, shh, shh, he's coming. And I saw it happen. And to my horror, what happened before my eyes was in the space of half a second, my friends had gone from a huddled, quiet group of children into a flying V formation. Like that. And I knew what was coming. The time had come for my own song. And not only that, I knew I must be in trouble because they hadn't waited for the popularity check on the song. They'd already got a dance ready to go with the song. I had no option but just to stand there, mouth wide open in shock and horror. Now, I won't do the dance for you. You'll be pleased to know. 
Nope. <laughs> nope. But the shortest song and dance in the history of Castle Bromwich Primary School happened before my very eyes. It was four lines, the song was. I brought it to God many, many times. I asked him to take it away from me. It's still there. Four lines. You're not one of us. It's plain to see. You're not one of us. You're fat naturally. I mean, for how cruel, how harsh are children? And there was a dance. And what was worse, it was catchy. All the children could remember it. It was four lines and it rhymed and there was a dance and everyone loved it. And in the space of five minutes, I'd gone from being moderately popular to having a song and dance written about me not belonging because I'm fat and there was a dance routine. In the space of five minutes, I went from being moderately popular to instantly feeling like I didn't belong anywhere in my primary school. The song was so popular, it sort of had a bit of momentum and this song was remixed on the playground. The song had barbershop quartets sing it. And there was one lovely child that even managed to do a beatboxing solo in the middle. I mean, it was four lines. You do two lines, there's a ten-minute beatboxing solo, and then it ends with the fat. I mean, it was just... Honestly, I will let it go at some point. (laughs) But in the space, as I say, of five minutes, I'd gone from feeling like I belonged somewhere to instantly feeling like I didn't belong And the need to belong still happens today. I mean, if you think about how many friends you've got on Facebook, how many people follow you on Twitter, there's a human nature thing to need to feel that you belong to a group. And social media helps us to just instantly feel accepted and belonging and be part of a group. Say on Facebook, you don't just actually follow your friends. You can have groups, you know, that you instantly click and join to be a part of. People have a need to belong to something. In 2003, there was an English writer and comedian called Danny Wallace. And his grandfather passed away and he lived in Switzerland. And so he flew over to Switzerland to see where his grandfather lived. And his grandfather lived in a very small village in Switzerland. But he had a vision. And his grandfather wanted to get everyone in the village to live under the same roof, to belong to one another and live completely together. In all of his grandfather's life, Danny Wallace's grandfather managed to get three people. And Danny felt quite sad about that. The one thing, the vision that his grandfather had of getting the village to belong together had only accumulated with three people. And so when Danny came back to England in 2003, he felt he had to do something to honour his grandfather. And so he burst the Join Me campaign. And so instantly what he did in 2003 was he spent all of his savings on adverts in newspapers all around the country. And literally, the advert just read, join me. Send one passport photo, your name and address, to the following warehouse. And that was it. Now, if that wasn't enough, he also got a friend of his who was a web designer to get a website up for the Join Me campaign. And just to get promotion going, he stood on Oxford Street in London for a month with a big sandwich board with the words, join me. There was nothing to join. What I find more interesting was that after a month, a hundred people had sent him a passport photo and their name and address just because they wanted to belong to someone. When he talks about the conversations he has on the street of Oxford Street, people just wanted to be part of something. They wanted to feel like they belonged somewhere. The Join Me campaign is still going today. 
And actually, what, what they do now is they decided that they should have a purpose for their group. And being as it was birthed to remember, in a way, Danny's grandfather, they decided to dedicate the group to helping the older generation. And so every Friday, if you're part of the Join Me campaign, they go out and help the older generation. Happens every Friday. They've catchily called it Good Friday. I don't know where they got that one from. Um, <laughs> But it's still going today. It's in it's in multicultural thing. It's in Norway. It's in Belgium. It's going around the world. And there are twelve thousand people now joining in. But it's not the twelve thousand people that amazes me. It's those first hundred that joined just because they wanted to belong somewhere. And I want you to keep that that idea in your head as we talk this morning. That need to belong. The title of the series is Tales of the Unexpected. And the tale of the story in the Bible that really shot out to me was something I've taken for granted for so many times. There's those stories that you read and you just sort of skip over and go, yeah, that's great, that is. But actually, this one really sat with me. There was something that unsettled me. That when you actually look at it and you think about it, it's such a weird story. And it happens in Matthew. Matthew 4, verses 18 to 22. One day, as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers... Simon, also called Peter, and Andrew, throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, come follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. A little farther up the shore, he saw two other brothers, James and John, sitting in a boat with their father Zebedee, repairing their nets. And he called called them to come too. They immediately followed him, leaving the boat and their father behind. Now, I've often read that and said, great, yeah, that's when they started to follow Jesus. But I read it again, and it really stuck out for me as something that was really, really strange. So there's Jesus. There he is, walking on the shore. There's two guys in a boat fishing. Jesus says, come follow me. And what do the guys do? They just stop, they drop it, and they walk off. It's weird. When you actually picture it like that, that's the series of events that happen here. Now, when I first tried to picture this in my head... I don't know about you, but I read their fishermen, so I saw two guys in a boat with a big fishing rod, you know, just waiting there for hours. But then you read again, it says they've got thrown a net into the water. Put your hands up if you're a fisherman. No fisherman. Awesome. That means I can get this wrong. No. But when I read they've got nets going into the water, I first saw like a little tadpole net on the end, but I thought, well, that's ridiculous. So I, I became obsessed with what were these nets that these guys dropped in the water. Liz must have hated me as I started to research and spend a week talking about nets. It was ridiculous. But these nets that these guys fished with were normally over 100 feet long and 8 feet deep. And normally, you wouldn't just sit in one boat and cast it. You'd have one boat here, you'd have another boat over there, you'd have a corner each, and then you'd cast the net into the water between two boats. They were huge. And if you were accurate enough, you could catch a whole shoal of fish in one casting of your net. This wasn't just something little that they could do casually. These nets wouldn't be lightweight. They'd be heavy. They'd be hard to maintain. In fact, after you finish fishing with them, you've got to get them out. You've got to dry them first. Before you can wash them, you've got to dry them, then wash them, then dry them again, and then make your repairs afterwards. They're incredibly difficult things to use. But these things were the key to their livelihood. Now, it must have been such hard work thinking about it, they spent all day in boats casting this 100-foot-long net into the water. It was their living. And providing they were good at their jobs, it probably would have been quite a lucrative profession, 
catching a whole shoal of fish at a time, that would have done great for you on the market. These guys would have been strong, they would have been hard working, and they would have been patient as they waited for the right catch. But the nets are essential to their lives. It's like a truck driver without a truck. You know what I mean? A truck driver needs a truck to live. These fishermen needed that net. And so when you again look at it, Peter and Andrew just leave these nets and walk off instantly. These things that would have been their livelihood. I mean, you look again at James and John further down the shore. They leave their nets too, but not only that, they leave their father instantly at the drop of a hat. I mean, and when you read it in that context, you think, hold on a minute, there's these guys that are fishing. Jesus comes along and says, come follow me. And they just drop everything and go. That's so strange. It reads like they're hypnotized or they're in a trance or something. That's how I pictured it in my head. It's not just a simple act. It's like I tried to think about it in a Monday context. And I tried to think like if I was teaching in a classroom and Jesus walked past my, my window and said, come follow me. I'd just stop teaching my group of 30 kids and leave them there in the classroom. A lawyer in a courtroom, mid-case, yeah, bye, and he walks off. Plumber, burst water pipe, yeah, I'm not finishing that, and he just leaves. In the middle, a doctor in the middle of surgery would just leave. These guys were in the middle of doing something that was essential to their lives. And they just left because they heard Jesus say the words, come, follow me. And I thought, that's so strange. So I started to dig deeper into this story and I realised that this wasn't, in fact, the first time these guys had met Jesus. It wasn't. I thought it was. But their first encounter with Jesus is recorded back in the book of John. Now, Jesus was baptised by someone called John the Baptist. And John the Baptist recognised and used to tell people that Jesus was the Lamb of God. And the Jews of the people at the time would have known that the Lamb of God meant the saviour of the world, the person that was to come to save mankind. They would have known that. And John the Baptist was already pointing Jesus out as this person. And you look at John 1, verses 35 to 42, and you see that they've already met him. So John was again standing with his two disciples. As Jesus walked by, John looked at him and declared, Look, there is the Lamb of God. When John's two disciples heard this, they followed Jesus. Jesus looked around and saw them following. What do you want? He asked them. They replied, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come and see, he said. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon when they went with him to the place where he was staying, and they remained with him for the rest of the day. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of these men who heard what John had said and then followed Jesus. Andrew went to find his brother Simon and told him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. Then Andrew brought Simon to meet Jesus. Looking intently at Simon, Jesus said, your name is Simon, son of John, but you will be called Cephas, which means Peter. So for a start... Both Simon, who was known as Peter, and Andrew already knew who Jesus was. When I first read this, I saw it as like a stranger was walking along the shore and just said, come follow me. But actually, they already knew who Jesus was. Not only that, but they'd already met him. They'd encountered with him and they'd spoken with him. Not only that, but they also knew and recognized that Jesus was known as the Lamb of God. They recognized him as the person that was to come to save them. And so when Jesus calls out to them, Come, follow me. It's not a strange and unexpected thing for them to just drop their nets and follow him. They knew that this guy was the saviour of the world and he was calling out to them, come, follow me. And I kept thinking about it. If you knew wholeheartedly that this person, the person stood right in front of you, was the guy that was sent to save the world, to save mankind. And he stood there talking to me. And not only that, but he says, 
come follow me, would I question him? Would I say I'm busy? I'm just doing my job. Can we talk about this afterwards? Can I wait till I have a break? Or would you just get up, drop your stuff and go? If you knew you were speaking to the the saviour of mankind and he said, come follow me, you would just go. When you recognise and realise just who Jesus is, that's the moment that changes your life. I know it's changed mine and I know it's changed other people's here. It's not just new information. Like I, I follow on Twitter Uber facts that tell me lots of lovely facts. And I learned this week that if you don't make your bed, you're less, you're less likely to get bed bugs than if you make your bed. That's new information. doesn't change my life. It makes go, oh, that's interesting. Maybe I'll use that in a pub quiz. The information that Jesus is the saviour of the world isn't just something new. It's life-changing. And when you realise that that's true... How amazing. It isn't just something new. A drop in the memory bank for you to remember. Something for you to share at a pub quiz. It's not. It's a life-changing truth. I mean, what did Jesus do? Following this story, he spent three years sharing the good news. He spent three years healing people. He spent three years showing miracles. He spent three years loving people. He spent three years showing us what a life of love actually looks like. And not only that, but then he goes and dies on the cross. But Why? John 3.16, for God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God wants to be in a relationship with us. He wants us to be with him. He wants us to have an eternal life with him. But there's always something that stops that and that's us. The things that we do wrong, it's our sin, it stops us. God knew that. He recognized that. He knew something had to be done. So what did he do? He sends Jesus, his only son, to die on the cross for us. This isn't just information. It's a life-changing truth. When Jesus died on the cross, he took all of the sin, all of our wrongs, all these things for all of time onto him. And then when Jesus rose from the grave three days later, it was done. Sin was defeated. Death had been defeated. We can now come before God, ask for forgiveness and enter into a relationship with him. And we can have eternal life with him. We are free from the things that hold us back. This isn't just all that interesting information. This is life-changing stuff. Romans 4 verses 25. Jesus was handed over to die because of our sins. And he was raised to life to make us right with God. That's what Jesus did. And when you recognize that truth, it's more than just an interesting piece of information. You can't escape it. It's life-changing. And when you know that Jesus is the one that means that we can have a relationship with God, that we can have eternal life, and he's saying to us, come follow me, it's not an unexpected thing to drop your nets and go. In fact, I'd argue it's the completely logical thing to do. When you know that person is the saviour of the world and they're saying, come, follow me. It's the logical thing. There isn't anything else that we can do. The son of God, who loves me enough to die for me, asks me to follow him. I wouldn't even blink. If you're sitting there this morning and you think there's even the smallest chance that this is true, what are you waiting for? Because Jesus is calling for you to come and follow him, the saviour of the world. But for me, this is only one part 
of a story which is mirrored with something that happens later in the Bible. John 21. John 21 is the last chapter of the book of John. And so this, this happens after the come follow me and Peter goes with him. And in three years, what do they do? They've lived with God. They've recognized Jesus as being the son of God. They've lived with him. They've seen miracles. They've seen him die on the cross. They've seen him come back from the dead. And he's reappeared to them. All of these things have happened since then. What an amazing couple of years. I can't even begin to imagine what three years like that would be like. And yet John 21 starts about Peter. John 21 verse 3. Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. We'll come too, they all said. So they went out in the boat and they caught nothing all night. Now, I find this strange and unexpected for two reasons. First of all, they caught nothing all night. What do we say these guys were fishermen? That's their profession. It's what they did. It was their livelihood before they met Jesus. If anyone knew anything about fishing, it was these guys. If I went out fishing all night and caught nothing, yeah, that's fine. That's going to happen. These guys knew everything to know about fishing, and yet they went out all night and caught nothing. How strange is that? But that's, that's not the, the strangest thing. It's Peter. Peter, after everything that he's been through, everything that's happened, he says the words, I'm going fishing. I've heard people have a conversation, well, people have had a conversation with me saying, well, maybe it was his hobby. Now, I'm sorry, I teach every day, day in, day out. Liz will never find me on a Saturday afternoon going, do you know what, I want to find 37-year-olds to go and teach a class. <laughs> you won't see it. And there's Peter, after three years of living with the Son of God, knowing that he's risen from the dead, and he says he's going fishing again. Jesus' instruction was to come and follow me. And yet after everything Peter had experienced and seen, it's like he's going, well, that's over. I'm going fishing. I'm going to go back to my old life. He saw and experienced amazing things. He lived with the Son of God, and he knew it was the Son of God. And yet because he couldn't see Jesus, because Jesus wasn't next to him in that moment, what's the first thing he does? He returns back to his old ways. And I think that's just crazy. Can you imagine living with the Son of God for three years and the minute you can't see him, oh, forget this, I'm going back fishing. It's crazy. But then God really did a check on me. And he's like, well, what are you like when you have a difficult time? What are you like when you stop looking at Jesus? And I thought, well, I'll become more self-reliant. I thought, I'll become a bit more selfish. I'll become a little less loving. I'll become a bit more proud. I'll become a bit more arrogant. I'll become a bit more selfish. I'll become a lot more insecure. Instead of my eyes being on Jesus sometimes, I take them off him and I find myself going back to the ways and being back to like the person I was before I recognized who Jesus was. It's like sometimes I go back and I go and pick up my nets and I go back fishing again. I forget that call that Jesus made to come and follow me. This morning, ask yourself, where are you on your journey? Are you just finding out who Jesus is this morning? Is that why you're here? Because let me tell you, Jesus is saying to you this morning, come and follow me. Have you been brought here by a group of friends, but you really wish you weren't here? Because if that's you, Jesus is saying, come and follow me. If you're just starting your journey with Christ, Jesus is still saying to you, 
Come, follow me. If you think you're doing okay with your walk with God, that doesn't mean Jesus stops calling out to you to come follow him. He's still calling it. Are you having a tough time right now because Jesus is calling out for you to come follow me? You maybe have been following and heard the call some time ago and accepted Christ, but your eyes have left him and you find yourself picking up your nets because he's saying, come follow me. And you know what? That's not just something for this morning. When you get up tomorrow morning, Jesus is going to say, come follow me. When you get up on Tuesday, Jesus is going to say, come follow me. When you're stuck in a traffic jam and it's really hot and all you want to do is scream at the person next to you, Jesus is still saying, come follow me. When you're hot and sweaty in Asda and you reach for the jar of jam and it falls off and smashes on the floor, Jesus is still saying, come follow me. When you have an argument with someone that you really care about, Jesus is still saying, come follow me. So what's Jesus saying this morning? Come follow me. When we follow Jesus, we're doing what we're made for. And we're made to be in relationship with God. Genesis 1 verse 27 says, So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God he created them. Male and female he created them. So why did God create us in his image? He he did that so we could be in relationship with him. Because we are complete with him. Because we belong with him. That human nature, that human need to feel like you belong to something and you belong somewhere is only satisfied by God. So many people I know in my life that are going out searching for something to satisfy them and satisfy that need and make them feel like they're okay. There is only one thing that can do that and that's God because that's where we belong. When Jesus says, come, follow me, Jesus is inviting us to follow him, to join him and to fulfill that need of belonging that we have because that's satisfied by God. Isaiah 58 verse 11 says, The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and he will strengthen your frame. You'll be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. God satisfies that need because that's where we belong. And that's what I believe Jesus is saying this morning. It doesn't matter where you are on your journey. Take up that call to follow him again. To rededicate yourself again, to respond to that call and say, yes, I will follow you again. I will keep my eyes fixed on you. And it might be the first time, it might be the second time, or it might be the millionth time. But Jesus will always call for us to come and follow me. After Peter went fishing in John 21 and caught nothing, Jesus reappeared and gave him another chance to rededicate and follow him. To refocus. And Peter did it. But it's a movement of the heart. It's not something someone can do for you. It's something that you choose to do yourself. That you take it up and you choose to follow Jesus yourself. If you'd all like to stand with me, that would be great. And we'll get the the band to come back up. We're going to go and sing another song. But as we sing, it's a chance for you to reach out in your hearts to God. To say to God, I recognize you as the saviour of the world and I want to follow you. I was really moved by a story that Leon told when he came back from sabbatical and he said that he heard a guy in his 80s speak 
And the guy in his 80s said that when he wakes up every morning, he rededicates his life to Christ. That's a guy that recognizes and responds to the call of come, follow me every day. It doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian. It doesn't. We all need to recognize that call to come and follow me. For those people, you might be sitting there, you might think, well, I'm not a Christian, but I want to respond to that call, come follow me. Then do it. Don't wait. Talk to the people who you've come with. Pray with them. Come and talk to the Simon at the back, one of our leaders. He would love to speak to you. Come and speak with us at the front. We will talk and pray with you. It doesn't matter who, but talk and pray with someone. Don't leave this morning thinking, I wish I'd talk with someone about following Jesus because you can, but you've got to choose to do it. Jesus is calling out for us to come and follow him. And as we, as we sing, really reach out with God to do that. God, I want to thank you that you sent your son, the saviour of the world, to die for us so that we could have eternal life. We can have a relationship with you. We can be free from the things that hold us back. I want to thank you that in spite of who I am, you still call me to follow you. In spite of where I've been and what I've done, you still want me to come and journey with you. And that's an amazing gift. And as we sing, God, and recognize who you are, we want to say this morning that we want to follow you. Thank you for that call. And thank you for your son. In your name we pray these things.